0: We're now going to go to questions to the Prime Minister. With which I will first call the Prime Minister to answer the engagement (laughs) question, and then I will then call Dan Poulter to ask his supplementary virtually. Prime Minister Boris Johnson.
1: Mr. Speaker, the thoughts of the House will be with the family and friends of the Hillsborough 96 and the hundreds more who are injured following the decision by the court this morning. I know that the CPS has said they will meet with the families again to answer any questions they may have. Mr Speaker, I know colleagues from across the House will want to join me in paying tribute to our former colleague Mike Weatherly, who sadly died last week. He was a dedicated parliamentarian and a fantastic servant to the people of Hove. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Let's go to Dr. Dan Poulter. Dan.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. and I draw the House's attention to my declaration of members' interests as a practising NHS doctor who's been working on the front line uh, of the NHS during the pandemic. Now, the, my right honourable friend will be aware that the 2012 uh, Health and Social Care Act resulted in local authority commissioning of addiction services and 10 years later, all addiction, almost all addiction services are now run by non-NHS providers result is that the numbers in alcohol treatment have fallen, many alcohol detoxes take place in an unplanned manner, and both opiate and alcohol deaths are at record levels. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that for the sake of patients, we must bring commissioning and provision of addiction services back to the NHS? And will he meet with me and experts in this field to discuss how we can get this right?
1: Mr Speaker, I want to thank my honourable friend for everything that he's done throughout this pandemic uh, in the NHS, but also for raising this vital issue. And uh, of course, I'm proud that we're seeing the biggest increase under this government in treatment for substance abuse uh, for 15 years. Uh, but the specific points uh, he raises, uh, we will make sure that we address uh, with Dr. Dame Carol Black, who is undertaking a review on drugs and treatment. And uh, we'll make sure that his point is fed in.
3: Let's go to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer.
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about Hillsborough and Mike Weatherby? Mr. Speaker, this morning the Prime Minister's former closest advisor said, when the public needed us most, the government failed. Does the Prime Minister agree with that? Uh, Mr. Speaker, the handling of this pandemic has been
1: one of the uh, most difficult things this country has had to do for a very long time. And none of the decisions have been easy. To go into a lockdown is a traumatic thing for a country. Uh, to deal with a pandemic on this scale has been appallingly difficult, and we've, at every stage, uh, tried to minimise loss of life, to save lives, to protect the
0: NHS, and we have followed the best scientific advice that we that we can, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. So, yeah. Mr. Speaker, can I remind the Prime Minister that one year ago, almost to the day, he described his former adviser as, in his words, in every respect acting responsibly, legally, and with integrity. This morning, that same adviser has said that senior ministers fell, his words, disastrously short of the standards that the public has a right to expect of its government, and that lives were lost as a result. Does the Prime Minister accept that central allegation, and that his inaction led to needless deaths?
1: Uh, uh, No, Mr. Speaker, and uh, of course, all those matters will be uh, reviewed in the in the course of. Uh, the public inquiry that I have announced. I, I notice that he's fixated as ever on the on the rear view mirror, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, While we uh, on this side of the House are getting on uh, with our job of rolling out the vaccines, uh, making sure that we protect the people of this country. And that, I think, has been uh, the decisive uh, development on which I think people are rightly focusing. And I can tell the House that in spite of the continuing concern that we have, about the uh, the Indian variant, uh, we are increasing our vaccination programme at such a rate that we can now ask everybody over 30 to come forward, Mr Speaker, and get vaccinated.
0: Kishan Mr. Mr Speaker, it's no good the Prime Minister attacking me. It's his former chief, it's his former chief adviser who's looking back yeah. and telling the world how useless the Prime Minister was in taking key decisions. His former adviser. One of the most serious points made this morning is that the Prime Minister failed to recognise the severity of this virus until it was too late, dismissing it as, quote from this morning, another scare story, like the swine flu. Does the Prime Minister recognise that account of his own behaviour? And if so, will he apologise for being so complacent about the threat that this virus posed? Uh, uh, Mr. Speaker,
1: I don't think anybody could credibly accru- accuse this government of being complacent about the threat that this virus posed uh, at, at, any, at any point. We have worked flat out, Mr. Speaker, to minimise loss of life, to protect. The NHS, while they have flip flopped, Mr. Speaker, from one uh, position to another, uh, backing curfew one day, opposing it the next, backing lockdowns one day, opposing it the next, calling for tougher border controls one day, uh, then saying that quarantine is a blunt instrument the next. Mr. Speaker, we have got on with the job of protecting the people of this country from one of the worst pandemics uh, in living memory, if not the worst in living memory. We have turned the corner, and it is no thanks,
0: Mr. Speaker, to the loyal opposition opposite. <laughs>
1: up.
0: Mr. Speaker, I can see that the evidence of his former advisor is really getting to the Prime Minister this morning in that response. Another incredibly serious statement from the Prime Minister's former advisor this morning concerns the conduct of the Health Secretary, including an allegation that the Health Secretary misled other ministers and officials on a number of occasions. Now, I don't expect the Prime Minister to respond to that, but can he confirm from this morning's evidence? Can the Prime Minister, can he confirm, did the Cabinet Secretary advise him, the Prime Minister, that he, the Cabinet Secretary, had, quote, lost faith in the Health Secretary's honesty? Uh, uh, the, the answer to
1: that is no, Mr Speaker, and uh, I'm afraid I haven't had the benefit of, uh, of seeing the evidence that, he, uh, that he's bringing to the, to the House, but I, I, I must say that I think what the people of this country want us all to do. Uh, is to get on uh, with the delicate business now of trying to reopen our economy and restore people 's uh, freedoms, get back to our way of life by rolling out the vaccine. I would have thought that that was a, a much more profitable line of inquiry uh, for the Right honourable Gentleman today, and that 's why I think the people of this country want us to
0: focus on. Yeah. speaker, the Prime Minister can 't have it both ways. Either his former adviser is telling the truth, in which case the Prime Minister should answer the allegations, or the Prime Minister has to suggest that his former adviser is not telling the truth, which raises serious questions about the Prime Minister's judgment in appointing him in the first place. There is a pattern of behaviour here. There was clearly a lack of planning, poor decision-making and a lack of transparency, and a Prime Minister who was absent from the key decisions, including five early Cobra meetings and who was, to quote his former adviser, a thousand per cent too obsessed with the media. But another central allegation, briefed overnight, is that the Prime Minister delayed the circuit break over the autumn half-term because, quote, Covid was only killing 80-year-olds. Can I remind the Prime Minister that over 83,000 people over 80 lost their lives to this virus? And that his decision to delay for 40 days from the SAGE guidance on the 21st of September until the 31st of October will be seen as one of the single biggest failings of the last year? Does the, now, having been told of the evidence, does the Prime Minister accept? That he used the words "Covid was only killing 80-year-olds" or words to those affect? I, Minister, Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, we, we saw what happened.
1: Uh, during the, the pandemic, and particularly he talks about the uh, the September lockdown and, uh, and my approach to it and the, uh, the the very very difficult decision that the country faced. And uh, of course, this will be a matter for the inquiry to uh, to go into. But we have a an objective test, Mr. Speaker, in the in the sense that uh, there was a circuit breaker of the kind he describes uh, in Wales. Uh, it did not work, and uh, and I'm afraid Mr Speaker I'm absolutely confident that we took the decisions in the best interests of the of the British people. It, and uh, when it comes to when it comes to hindsight, Mr. Speaker, I could just just remind the Right Honourable Gentleman that he actually, I mean he denied this at the time, but and then had to correct it. But he voted to stay in the European Medicines Agency, Mr. Speaker, which would have made it impossible which would have made it impossible for us to do the vaccine rollout at the pace that we have.
4: Yeah.
0: Mr. Speaker, it's not me giving evidence this morning, it's his former adviser, and I note the Prime Minister is careful not to refute these allegations. Mr. Speaker, what we're seeing today is the latest chapter of a story of confusion, chaos and deadly misjudgments from this government, from a prime minister governing by press release, not a plan. In the last 24 hours, we've seen the same mistakes made again with the ridiculous way. million people in Bolton, Burnley, Bedford, Blackburn, Kirklees, Hounslow, Leicester and North Tyneside have been treated. In the light of the drip of these very serious allegations and the failure of the Prime Minister to provide even basic answers and continuing mistakes affecting millions of people, does the Prime Minister now recognise he must bring forward the timing of the public inquiry into COVID and that it should start this summer and as soon as possible? Uh, no, Mr. Speaker, as I've said before, uh, I'm not going to consecrate valuable
1: official time on that now uh, whilst we're still uh, battling a pandemic. And I thought actually that was what the House had agreed on. And, Mr. Speaker, he continues to play these pointless uh, political games uh, whilst we get on with delivering on the people's priorities. 14 new hospitals, 8,771 more police on our streets now. We're getting on with sorting out the railways, uh, Mr. Speaker. We're giving the people, the young people the opportunity of home ownership. In a way they've never had before, with 95% more mortgages. And we've vaccinated, we've, done, we've delivered 60 million vaccinations across this country. More, and he loves these European comparisons, Mr. Speaker, more than any other European country, including 22 million second doses. And that, with great respect to the right honourable government, I believe. That is the priority of the British people. That's really uh, what they're focused on, uh, whilst he voted to stay in the European Medicines Agency. They vacillate, Mr Speaker. We vaccinate. They they deliberate. We deliver.
2: Tom Tugendall. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure my right hon. friend, the Prime Minister, remi- uh, remembers with great fondness his trip of July last year to the Discovery School. In Kings Hill, but he probably remembers best his meeting with Tony Hudgel, an amazing and inspirational uh, young boy who had at that point already raised a million and a half pounds for charity and been awarded by my right honourable friend the Points of Light award that he so generously hands out to those who've achieved yeah. so much. Mm. Will he join Tony and Tony's parents, Paula and Mark, and me and many others around the country in campaigning for Tony's law, New Clause 56, to the policing? crime and sentencing bill. This is a very minor change to a very important bill that would bring child abuse sentencing in line with that of adult abuse. I know he has put his heart into this place and I'm sure we can all look forward to his support. Prime
1: Minister.
2: I I thank my my honourable
1: friend. Of course, I remember uh, Tony very well. I remember uh, his incredible campaign and the the amount of uh, money he raised, and I thank him uh, for it. And uh, all I can say is it is very, very important that uh, cases like that, uh, injustices such as that suffered by Tony, do receive the full force of the law. And uh, it is People who commit serious offences against children can receive exactly the same penalties as those who commit serious offences against adults. But we will keep this under review, Mr. Speaker. And if there is a gap in the law, and I will study his amendment very closely. If there is a gap in the law, we will make sure that we remedy it.
4: Leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. can I associate myself with the remarks of Prime Minister for those seeking justice for Hillsborough? To quote the song, "You'll never walk alone." Mr. Speaker. 128,000 people have died of coronavirus in the United Kingdom. This morning, the Prime Minister's most senior former adviser, Dominic Cummings, apologised on behalf of the UK government. He said, when the public needed us most, we failed. We know that the Prime Minister made a series of catastrophic errors throughout the crisis. He went on holiday when he should have been leading efforts to tackle the pandemic. He was too slow to go into lockdown. He failed to secure our borders. He sent millions of people back to their offices prematurely. There is no doubt that these mistakes cost many thousands of lives. When even a disgraced figure like Dominic Cummings is willing to own up and apologise, isn't it time that the Prime Minister does the same? Yes,
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, I take full responsibility for everything that has happened. I am, and I've said, as I've said uh, before, and he will recall, uh, both in this House and elsewhere, I am truly sorry for the suffering that the, the people of this country uh, have experienced. But I maintain uh, my point that the government acted throughout uh, with the intention to save life and protect the NHS and in accordance and with yes. the best scientific advice. That's exactly what we did.
0: Ian
4: Blackford. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker.
1: The evidence. We've heard this morning is
4: extraordinary, but sadly not surprising. It paints a familiar pattern of behaviour: a negligent prime minister more concerned with his own self-interest than the interests of the United Kingdom. When people were dying, the United Kingdom government was considering chicken pox parties and joking about injecting the prime minister with COVID live on TV. We had a circus act when we needed serious government. Isn't it the case? that what the country needed leadership most, the Prime Minister was missing in action. Thousands have paid the ultimate price for his failure. When will the Prime Minister finally accept responsibility for the failures of his government?
1: Mr Speaker, as I said repeatedly in this house, I take full responsibility for everything that the uh, government did and uh, will continue to do so. And One of the reasons we've Set up an independent public inquiry, because I believe the people of this country do deserve to have uh, daylight shone on all the issues he, he raised. I must say I don't uh, recognise the events that he uh, that he describes, uh, but I, I do think that we acted throughout uh, with the intention of uh, of, of saving life, uh, of protecting the NHS, and of taking the country through the worst pandemic uh, for a hundred years. And I think if he if I think it's also true. Uh, that we're in a, a much more fortunate position now, thanks to the efforts of the British people and the fastest vaccine rollout in, in Europe. and I am grateful for that as well.
3: Thank
0: you. Mr Speaker, I spent Monday morning at the Fitz Country House in Cockmouth with an alpaca called Boris. <laughs> Cumbria sees significant numbers of tourists in any normal year, but Cumbria is not just lakes. We have some real gems in my constituency of Workington outside the national park. We have a real opportunity for the UK this year. For the UK hospitality industry this year, as people choose to holiday here, would my right honourable friend consider a short break in my constituency, <laughs> where I might facilitate an introduction to Boris?
1: Well, I'm so gra- I'm so grateful to uh, my honourable friend. I would love to come and meet uh, the Al Parker. Uh, called, called, called Boris. Um, and, but more importantly, uh, we want to support uh, the tourism in his constituency, which is why uh, we've so far provided over 25 billion of support, including 1.5 billion uh, to support projects such as the Carnegie Theatre Trust. And since this week is English Tourism Week, Mr. Speaker, I encourage uh, everyone to make the most of the tourism on their doorstep. Let's
0: go to Stephen Farry. Stephen. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The
4: EU settlement scheme closes on the 30th of June. While the Home Office has finally published guidance on late applications, the government is failing to provide clarity on what will happen to those who miss the deadline and then fall under the remit of of illegal working legislation. So can the Prime Minister assure the House that EU citizens or non-EU family members who miss the deadline will not face potential criminal liability if they continue to go into work?
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, we've, uh, I'm, I'm sure that the law will be extremely merciful to anybody who finds themselves in a difficult position, but I would just remind uh, the honourable gentleman uh, that so far, uh, 5.4 million uh, EU nationals have applied successfully for the EU settlement scheme, which is about, uh, as far as I can remember, about two million more uh, EU nationals than we thought were in the
0: country in the first place. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would the Prime Minister join with me in praising Wrexham and Denbyshire councils for the dynamic proposals that they are putting forward in their joint bid for the levelling up fund in Fluid South, including regeneration of the Trevor Basin, improvements for Chirk and Klangothlin, and investment in Corwin Station and the surrounding area?
1: Can I tell my honourable friend what a joy it is to hear him campaigning for, uh, for, for Cherk and, and Corwin and Clangothin after I, uh, I, I, I tramped around those beautiful places uh, entirely fruitlessly uh, many, many years ago in search of the Conservative vote? Uh, thank you for what you've, you, you've done. Uh, thank you for continuing uh, to champion uh, those wonderful, wonderful, and beautiful spots. Gerald Jones. Thank you Mr Speaker. When any member of this house is suspended for 10 days or more because of a standards committee report, constituents can then recall that member. When the independent expert panel suspend a member, this can't happen. The the Prime Minister a moment ago was talking about closing loopholes in legislation. So will the Prime Minister introduce emergency legislation to close this particular loophole? And does he agree that it would be completely dishonourable for any member to exploit that loophole and should instead do the decent thing and resign? Mr. Speaker, I will, I will take, that, I take that point very seriously. I will, I, will, I will study what, uh, the implications of what he says. I think if he's referring uh, to any uh, a, a Conservative member who's, uh, who's recently uh, had the whip uh, taken away, then he can take it that that member has already had uh, condign punishment.
3: Catherine Fletcher.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, last Thursday, three, uh, well, about one o'clock in the morning, three young people popped out to Mackie D's as you do. Um, They noticed a Leyland shop massively on fire and did they drive past? No, they rang the fire brigade, they stopped, they recruited a passerby, they climbed over fences and walls to raise the alarm for the residents living in the flats above them. Now, during the pandemic, community spirit's been really important to all of us keeping going. So does the Prime Minister share my admiration for Kim, Zach, Shania and Robin, And will he join me in thanking them for showing British community spirit and true Lancashire grit?
1: Yes, Mr. Speaker. I thank my honourable friend for singling out this act of uh, this intrepid act of uh, uh, of quick thinking and selflessness, and I pay tribute to Kim, Zach, Shania, and Robin, and I hope that they uh, they they got their Ds. There are
0: over 4.3 million children, Mr. Speaker and rising, growing up in poverty, including some 18,000 in Harrow. So will he agree to put right the error of a previous Prime Minister and commit to publish a strategy to tackle child poverty and ensure that no child is left behind?
1: Mr Speaker, it is vital that we tackle child poverty and that is why we are uh, uniting and levelling up across the country with the biggest programme of investment uh, uh, for, for a generation, if not. More, but we're also seeing fewer households uh, now uh, with children in poverty than 10 years ago. But I I perfectly accept that there is more to be done.
0: Anthony Brown. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I very much welcome the fact that government is investing heavily in upgrading the rail networks across the country, including opening lines that have previously been closed. But as a Conservative government, we've got a particular responsibility to the taxpayer to ensure value for money. East West Rail and my constituency's business case is largely based on commuting, but the pandemic means we're in the middle of a workplace revolution. If people work from home on average two days a week in future, that means a 40% reduction in commuting. Will my right hon. friend, the Prime Minister commit to doing a review of the business case of East West Rail to ensure it remains value for money and to take into account the long-term impact of the pandemic? Mr.
1: Speaker, I, I fully I, I think my, my honourable friend is a great campaigner for, for Cambridgeshire and the rights of people of Cambridgeshire. However, my strong feeling is that it would be a mistake now to go slow on investment in infrastructure purely on the basis that we think people will start uh, working uh, from home. Uh, my long experience of this is that people need to travel, they will travel. Uh, the commuter bustle will come back, Mr. Speaker, and it needs to come back.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A global minimum rate for corporate corporate tax would help tackle tax avoidance by large multinational corporations and online giants. It would stop them undercutting British businesses who pay their fair share, and it would make a transformational difference to high streets and town centres at the heart of communities across the UK. Why is the Prime Minister the only G7 leader not to support this proposal? Why is he on the side of tax avoiders Instead of British businesses and communities.
1: Uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, it was only a few months ago that the, uh, the, the Labour Party, the Labour front bench, opposed the corporation tax increases uh, that, that we put in. Uh, they're now opposed to uh, the government's ability to cut uh, corporation tax. Which side are they
3: on? They've got to make their minds up. Let's go to Sir Robert Neal. Robert. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Like me, the Prime Minister represents the constituency in London's commuter land, so he'll be well aware of the small businesses, sole traders, many of them, who operate the coffee stores and newsagents and so on uh, on our railway stations. Uh, Their incomes have been absolutely decimated during the pandemic. Uh, but they're finding like my constituent andre sharma at Chislehurst station that when they seek to get a reduced level of rent to reflect their reduced turnover um, the train operating companies claim that the funding agreement put in place with the department of transport doesn't give them the discretion to do so the department appears to say differently and they've been going around in months in circles for months trying to get an answer Will the Prime Minister use the authority of his office, please, to bang heads together and get a solution for them? Because if they go broke and we have empty units, that's no income for anybody.
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, I-, I thank my right honourable friend. We've uh, we in- introduced policy to provide rent relief uh, for uh, station businesses in March of, of last year. Uh, all train operators, including South Eastern in his constituency, are able to offer uh, business support to their, to their stations. I, I understand the point he makes about uh, the discrepancy of views. Uh, can I undertake to him uh, to arrange a meeting uh, with him and the relevant uh,
0: minister to take it forward? Let's go to Rachel Muskell.
2: Rachel. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have asked the Prime Minister a series of questions about charities. In November, he promised support. By March, he turned his back. But this month, he broke that promise, giving them nothing this winter. His words and deeds are as unfaithful as his principles and beliefs. Is neither the commitment to honour his word, the capacity to care, nor the compassion to act. Does the Prime Minister really believe that charity is all about supporting him and his lifestyle? Or recognise charities now £10 billion in debt and struggling to survive need government support to help people in real need?
1: Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I think uh, charities perform uh, an amazing and invaluable role in our society and and, and in our lives, and we need them. And that's why we've supported uh, charity shops throughout uh, the the lockdown with grants uh, and with restart grants. And uh, uh, the roadmap means that those shops are now able to, to open again. But in addition, uh, we had a £750 million targeted package of support uh, for charities, helping more than 14,000 organisations across the country, uh, including funding for ho- hospices, homelessness char- charities, and shelters for, uh, for vi- victims of domestic abuse, and many others, Mr. Speaker.
3: Peter Olders. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The
0: fishing industry in East Anglia has had a hard time of it in recent years. However, with Brexit done, albeit in a way that left many disappointed, there is now an opportunity to turn the corner. The reef, that's the Renaissance of East Anglian Fisheries Strategy, sets out an exciting and ambitious programme for the future. Is the Prime Minister able to say how the government will work with fishing communities such as that in Lowestoft to revive
3: the industry in East Anglia? Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, Yes, Mr Speaker. I thank my honourable friend for what he's doing to champion the fisheries uh, industry in East Anglia. I like his his reef uh, plan. I think it's got lots of interesting ideas which we will take forward as part of our £100 million package uh, to support the the fishing industry uh, and get ready to take advantage of those opportunities which are coming very, very swiftly uh, down the track towards us.
0: Ben Mr Speaker, NHS and Social Care staff in Wales are due to receive a £500 bonus in recognition of their hard work during the pandemic. But staff on Universal Credit stand to lose out due to the way in which the reward is recognised in regulations as earned income. So instead of receiving a thank you bonus at the end of the month, many NHS and Social Care staff will be punished with a deduction of up to 63% to the Universal Credit. Will the Prime Minister look to amend regulation 55 of the Universal Credit regulations to create an exemption to ensure that all NHS and social care staff in Wales benefit fully. From this well-deserved bonus,
1: yeah. Prime Minister, uh, I'm grateful to him uh, for, the, for raising that point, and uh, of course, I want to repeat my, my gratitude to the nurses of this country, uh, the NHS, and, and social care staff uh, who have uh, done incredible work throughout this uh, this pandemic. He makes a particular point about the, N- the UC, the, the tapering uh, in universal credit, and I will make sure that he has a meeting with the relevant uh, minister uh, to who will set out the detail on the issue he's raised.
0: Let's go to Jonathan Lord. Jonathan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, On behalf of my constituent Seema Misra and other wrongly convicted sub-postmasters, I'm grateful that the vital inquiry of Sir William Williams into this scandal has now been given more teeth. However, there is widespread concern shared by Post Office CEO Nick Reid that the compensation received by the sub-postmasters who were party to the civil litigation at the High Court was simply not fair. Can I urge the Prime Minister to ensure that these civil litigants subpostmasters postmasters will be included in the anticipated government compensation scheme?
3: Prime Minister.
1: I thank you for raising this, 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 this issue, I might say a tragic, Uh, case of of, of injustice, and I have met some of the uh, the postmasters and sub-postmasters who have been affected by uh, this miscarriage of justice. As he knows, uh, the the Government was not party to the uh, initial uh, litigation nor the the settlement uh, that was agreed, but we are determined to ensure that uh, postmasters and sub-postmasters are fairly compensated for what happened
4: i Angus Brendan McNeil.
2: Uh,
1: Mr. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Brexit and Scottish independence are indeed very different, but referendums are much the same. Now, in 2016, uh, without interference, the European Union respected the UK in the Brexit referendum process. Unfortunately, the last Scottish referendum did not see Scotland get the same respect. London politicians promised Scotland a place in the European Union. Clearly, they won that referendum very clearly on broken promises. In the autumn, when the Scots Government has dealt with the health effects of the pandemic, the economic party will require independence as Norway and Ireland prove. So, Prime Minister, will Scotland be shown the same respect in the UK as the UK got in the EU? And this time can our democracy not be interfered with and our referendum
3: certainly not blocked. Prime Minister,
1: uh, Mr Speaker, we, we respected the re- referendum result of twenty fourteen, uh, which was which was uh, a very substantial majority in favour of uh, remaining uh, in the UK, uh, of keeping our wonderful country together not breaking it up. Uh, that was what the people uh, of Scotland uh, rightly voted for, uh, and, th- and they did so uh, in the belief that it was a once-in-a-generation event. Thank
3: you, Mr. Speaker. For almost 500 years, the Royal Navy has protected our country from foes and our f- the freedom of our friends around the world. The pride of our Navy, HMS Queen Elizabeth sailed this week with her strike group. Within her she carries the British values of freedom, justice and democracy. So can my right on friend tell me she makes her way from the Mediterranean to the South China Sea? What are his plans for the future of her white ensign? Yeah. Prime
1: Minister. Oh. It was fantastic to be aboard HMS Queen Elizabeth, which is a, a vessel longer than the Palace of Westminster uh, itself, uh, Mr. Speaker, and, and uh, a, a forms a more eloquent statement in, in many ways in many of the spe- many speeches or indeed interventions uh, that we've heard uh, this afternoon about uh, Britain's role in the world and uh, our, our determination uh, to expand shipbuilding uh, and expand our naval presence, which not only uh, is good for uh, the UK and, and good for the world, but good for jobs uh, and growth around the country.
0: Liam Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Covid has now triggered the first global rise in extreme poverty this century. But at the G7, the Prime Minister could act. He can ask leaders to reallocate the IMF's $1 trillion worth of special drawing rights and restock the World Bank's £83 billion worth of IDA fund. This is a multi-billion pound package of support for the world's poorest. So will the Prime Minister today commit to leading this argument at the G7 so a pandemic of disease doesn't now become a pandemic of poverty? Prime Minister.
1: I, I thank him for, for, for it's great, great to see him in his place, um, I say. Uh, Mr. speaker. Uh, uh, and, and actually uh, I have already I've already had uh, always great to see him in his place. I I I have had conversations on that very matter already with uh, with Christina Georgieva.
3: Laura.
2: Um, One of the many awful things about the past year has been the inability to visit family and friends in hospital. It's caused immense anguish for many of my constituents. We're seeing some progress locally and I hope with the brilliant rollout of the vaccine we will see more. But can the Prime Minister inform the House when we will see normal visiting hours resumed for all hospitals nationwide?
1: i know she speaks for many many millions of, of people who have uh, who have wanted to visit loved ones uh, mr speaker and uh, and i know the anguish that they have uh, that they have felt uh, and we need to balance that those feelings which are wholly legitimate and right with the need to, to manage the risk of uh, of infection as i know she understands very well and we'll be up- updating the guidance uh, as soon as it's possible to do so Thank you
4: Mr Speaker, taller 13, ruler just five years old, her big sister Yara aged nine three Palestinian children killed in an Israeli airstrike. The Israeli military murdered 63 other children and 245 Palestinians in its recent assault on Gaza. The call for Palestinian freedom has never been louder, but this Conservative government is complicit in its denial. It has approved more than 400 million pounds in arms to Israel since 2015. So can the Prime Minister look me in the eye and tell me that British made weapons or components weren't used in the war crimes that killed these three Children and hundreds
1: of other Palestinians.
0: Prime Minister, we shouldn't use props just to remind members. Uh, Mr.
1: Speaker, uh, I think that the whole House understands that uh, nobody wants to see uh, any more uh, of the conflict, of the appalling conflict that we've seen uh, in Israel and and Gaza. And uh, everybody wants to, I think we're all glad that there's now a, a ceasefire and uh, a de-escalation. And as for the position of the British Government, I think that it is probably common ground across most members of this House that, the, that what we want to see is a two-state solution. And, Mr. Speaker, that, is, that is what the, the UK Government has campaigned for for many, many years, and that continues to be our position.